Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello and welcome to this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. I'm your host, John Davis, filling in for your friend and mine, Bart Sheridan. Bart and his bride, Sandy, are serving alongside Grace missionaries Kevin and Tia Riley for the next several weeks. So be praying for them. Pray for gospel truths to take root and that that gospel truth would bring forth fruit in the coming days ahead. Right now, though, back with us here at the table, or desk as it is, is Pastor Tim Cockrell to discuss his most recent sermon at Grace Baptist Church, and that is Exodus 24, perhaps one of the most important and least heard of passages in the Old Testament, as uh, you shared with us on Sunday, Tim. Friend, welcome back. Thanks, John. I really appreciate you hosting. I've been looking forward to our conversation together. Oh, thank you. I've been looking forward to it as well. You know, so last week when we finished up the podcast, you shared how we're now shifting into a new speed as we close out a a verse-by-verse introduction to the law, as in Exodus 1 through 20. Would you share broadly with us about what we can expect in the second half of Exodus? Absolutely. And this was a question, actually, I got from a few different people on Sunday, because we skipped over a portion of Scripture, if you will, you Mm. know, chapters 21 through 23. And the last thing I would want is for somebody to interpret that then those passages are not important, or certainly that they're not inspired. But what I wanted to try to understand is that we go at a different pace through different types of literature. So if we were to come to the book of Leviticus, we probably wouldn't, you know, pace through verse by verse, but rather look concept by concept. And so as we came to chapters 21 through 23, we saw that was really the case law, the practical application in that culture, in that context of the Ten Commandments, which was something we had already tried to do in our series on the Ten Commandments. And so we went directly then to chapter 24, not to skip over important things, but because we felt like we had already covered it in concept. So then moving forward after 24, picking up in chapter 25, the whole focus of the book of Exodus turns to the tabernacle. So 25 through 31 really focuses on God's instructions on the tabernacle, and chapters 35 through 40 focus on then the implementation of those instructions, and then God ultimately moving in with his people. So rather than going verse by verse, chapter by chapter there, we're actually going to cover those chapters all in one message at the very end of our series. But uh, next week, we're going to be looking at chapter 32, uh, the story of the golden calf and how very shortly after making a covenant commitment to God, the Israelites are breaking it, which feels eerily familiar in my own life. Um, And then Moses having the opportunity to see God's glory. So it won't feel quite the same as it did there in the beginning, but my hope is that we're still covering the content sufficiently. Okay. All right. So then this week we found ourselves again at the base of Mount Sinai. Something clearly significant is happening here. And yet you opened your sermon with reminding us of the significance of what happens in a Christian wedding ceremony. All right, how does, how does what's happening in Exodus 24 relate to what happens in a Christian wedding? Well, I think the parallel that's there is, is the closest cultural parallel that we have to making a covenant. You know, most of the time when we're developing agreements between two parties, it's, it's contractual. It's, it's all lawyers and legalese. But in a covenant, especially a marriage covenant, we have a ceremony that has multiple different facets that convey 
the solemnity as well as the celebration of what's happening there. And so since many of us have either been in a wedding or at least attended a wedding, we have kind of that concept to say, okay, I know what it's like to be there, to be a a witness of, a participant in a ceremony like that. And I think that then helps us to have a frame of reference or a paradigm when we look at what God's doing here, that it's not just some ancient rituals that are really bizarre, but rather they're rich and meaningful symbols that, as we'll talk about, are pointing even ahead to something greater that they are anticipating. And so that something greater, you use this phrase, the first last supper. Mm -hmm. I, I gotta be honest, I lost you after that because I started just thinking through and my mind just started suddenly racing through all the parallelisms. Mm-hmm. I, hadn't, I guess I either hadn't paid attention in the past or I'm just now hearing it in a, afresh mm-hmm. in a new way. The first Last Supper. It feels like so much is going on. Unpack that phrase for us a little bit. Absolutely. Well, and I have to give credit where credit is due. This was actually a comment that Chris Miller made in our mm. preaching team. We have a, a preaching team that meets every week where we kind of dialogue about the passage and talk about the general approach and even give feedback on previous messages as I seek to continue to grow as a preacher and avail myself of the amazing resources that we have here at Grace. And and when he, he made that comment, it struck me as well because I hadn't really given careful thought to it. But then as I began to think through the implications, I realized that, well, that's exactly right. Because both are covenant initiating ceremonies. Mm -hmm. The Last Supper certainly would have been a much more private, intimate one, if you will. But they involve the leadership of Israel gathered in the presence of God that there is is blood of the covenant, if Mm -hmm. you will. You know, Mm -hmm. this cup is the new covenant in my blood that there is participation that is invited of those people. Um, you know, For the Israelites, it was the blood being put on them, sprinkled on them, whereas for the disciples, it was, was drinking of the cup as a sign of their participation. But what becomes even richer and fuller is that in Exodus 24, you know, they are on their face in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. They they don't dare lift their eyes to see his unveiled glory. And although they're they're eating and drinking with God, there is still a palatable distance there because they can't approach him. Whereas in the Last Supper, they're eating and drinking with God, but rather than kneeling at his feet, they're they're laying back against his chest. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're having their feet even yeah. washed by Jesus. And so when we begin to understand all that the new covenant implies, the law being written on our heart of a sacrifice being sufficient uh, once for all time of, of the anticipation of the future marriage supper of the Lamb, it does, it begins to help us appreciate the richness of what Christ has done for us, and then by implication, the richness of what we do every time that we gather around the Lord's table. Mm-hmm. That it isn't just a ritual, it isn't just something mechanical that we go through, but that we are having a covenant renewal ceremony mm-hmm. each and every time that we remember, this is my body which is given for you. This is the blood of my covenant. You know, do this in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the blood. I got to tell you, so on Sunday evenings, we try to gather around before we head off to bed and I say, okay, let's let's open up our notes from this morning. Sometimes we do well in that, sometimes we don't, mm-hmm. right? Just being real. And uh, so I I said to the, the family, I said, hey, you know, I'm going to have this great opportunity to hang out with Pastor Tim this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would love to hear your questions. You know, what 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 do you want me to, to ask him? What, what would be on your heart and mind? And uh, one of my children was just brave soul raised raised their hand and says, this whole blood thing, 
What's going on there? So there's, you know, the whole sprinkling of blood thing became an overwhelming conversation for us mm-hmm. as a family as we just tried to unpack that. And there were some things that we, we began, again, the parallelism, some other things. Help us understand what that is, especially in our day and age, right? That it just seems odd a little bit. It definitely is. And, and I think as we approach it, it's one of those things that can make the Old Testament feel outdated, mm-hmm. you know, almost even barbaric, if yeah. you will, you know, yeah. as you think about sacrifices and blood and and all these things. But what we realize is that this isn't an isolated incident. If you look at Exodus 28, when the priests, the descendants of Aaron, are d- dedicated and devoted to the Lord, there's blood sprinkled on them. The Day of Atonement that we read about in Leviticus chapter 17. In the same way, the blood is applied to the people. And so what I think we need to understand is that there is the blood of the sacrifice that atoned for sin, that that was poured out on the altar. It was a way of God accepting the death of an innocent substitute so that the people could still live. But then the blood of that same blood was applied to the people for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I think it clearly demonstrates that every one of the people were participants in the covenant. You know, if you imagine if you're one of the many, many Israelites standing around watching these events, you might feel like the covenant is something that's happening over there uh, among the leaders, among the important people. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you have blood on your own shoulders, there's the sense in which I am committing myself, my family, my tribe, my clan, whatever it might be. And we ourselves are responsible and As we talked about in those days, when you made a covenant, it was sealed in blood Mm -hmm. as a reminder that if I break this covenant, what I deserve is death. Mm -hmm. But being sprinkled with the blood, if you will, demonstrated that not only is peace established with God through the blood, but it's maintained with God through the blood. And there's such rich implications then for us as Christians that we come to Christ, we are forgiven in Christ because of his blood shed on the cross but that we continue to have communion with Christ because his blood covers us. We are wrapped in his righteousness. There's been this exchange of our unworthiness for his infinite worthiness that he has has given us and clothed us in his righteousness. And so I think that's the picture that's going on here is as they're sprinkled in the blood, as strange as that might be, it was a vivid picture that I cannot approach a holy God as a Mm -hmm. sinful person unless I'm covered in the blood of the innocent sacrifice that died in my place. Yeah. Man, so much there. You know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I look forward to unpacking this with my kids a little bit more, especially if I'm wrong. Um, so we were thinking about the idea of a covenant, and you had mentioned, you know, it's very possible, likely, that the clothes they were wearing as they were walking and being led by the Lord were co- was covered in that blood. So they had that visual reminder in front mm-hmm. of them of that covenant the Lord had made with them. I'd said to my kids, you know, hey, you know, I have this covenant relationship with your mom, and on on my left hand is this mm-hmm. ring that I look at. It's there. I often don't think about it, but it's still there. And mm-hmm. when I look at it, I'm reminded of that covenant relationship uh, that's there. So Absolutely. I, yeah. Thanks. I know there's a lot there, and I just greatly appreciate that. All right. You also shared uh, in your sermon that it is through Christ that we have a better covenant, a better sacrifice, and a better hope. Mm. And it's our acts of worship is meant to be a celebration of God's salvation and a response of covenant obedience. Um, There seems to be these two words or phrases that are really important in what you've said. The idea of celebratory worship and covenant obedience. Hmm. So as we begin to wrap up our time here, can you you just help us 
put some real application around what celebratory worship looks like mm-hmm. in covenant obedience. Right. Well, I mean, let's start with celebratory worship. Yeah. You know, worship, I think, is rightly orienting our hearts mm-hmm. and our minds to who God is. Yeah. So that then we are rightly responding mm-hmm. to who God is. Yeah. So celebratory worship is recalibrating our perspective, if you will. So we talked a little bit about this on Sunday as far as the, the call to worship that takes us out of the busyness of our everyday, the things that are stressing us or, or frustrating us, and lifting our eyes above the, the problems in the present to the hope that's on the horizon, the, the God who stands mm-hmm. above it all. And I think that's important because we all can get caught up in the here and now, the, the things that feel confusing or disorienting or frustrating, um, that even run the risk of us becoming kind of bitter or, or cynical about spiritual things. Yeah. So it orients us to the truth of who God is, but then it also orients us to the truth of who we are, the sinners separated from God, unworthy and unable to attain our own salvation. And when we rightly understand that from scripture, it ought to overflow in joy and gratitude and wonder that although we have rebelled against a holy God, rather than judging us, he has rescued us. Rather than demonstrating, giving us what we deserve, he's extended to us what we don't deserve. And that then begins to shape who we are and how we respond. And the reason I think that celebratory worship is so foundational is because if we skip over that and just go straight to the covenant obedience, Mm -hmm. it becomes this kind of legalistic righteousness, as if God were some dissatisfied grandfather who's constantly scowling, waiting for us to get our act together. But if we understand that obedience to the covenant is out of gratitude for the status and identity that we already have, out of a wonder of the grace that he's given us, and saturated with the gospel that has secured us, mm-hmm. well, now suddenly our obedience isn't, hey, here's how I attain right standing, but how I express that God is my greatest treasure and my deepest joy. Yeah. And that really reorients our perspective on the law. And I would also say, and I mentioned this on Sunday, I think we often have a wrong view of how the Israelites viewed the law, mm-hmm. that they viewed it somehow as some spiritual checklist that if you just keep the Sabbath and offer your sacrifices and, and don't, you know, boil a kid in its mother's milk and all these other laws that seem really right. strange to us, right. that then you're going to be accepted before God. Yeah. But what I think we often forget is that God had already rescued Israel. He had already demonstrated his faithfulness and his covenant commitment to them that he had made all the way back to Abraham. And so then their response to the law is simply living out who they already were. And so I think that's what we have to do then when we think about covenant obedience is to live out our new identity in light of what Christ has done for us. Wow. Man, so good. Thank you. You know, we have these adult Bible fellowships that we partake in Mm -hmm. after the sermon. And uh, this week, uh, Brandon Waltz, who uh, serves as our chair of our elders, was leading our our time of adult Bible fellowship. And he took us to Psalm 95 and asked a simple question, what is worship? Mm. And so we just spent... 35, 40 minutes just unpacking what is worship. And we ultimately landed on these these three themes that you see in mm-hmm. Psalm 95, the idea of making a joyful noise. We often do that through just singing, mm-hmm. right? Or through some sort of special music. And then the idea of lowering oneself, bowing down before the Lord. Mm. That's where we find ourselves in prayer, 
right? Mm-hmm. And when we do that. And then finally, just hearing God's voice. And so that's what you've done for us this week. You've taken us to Exodus 24. You've opened God's word and we've heard his voice. So thank you mm-hmm. for doing that with us. Thank you for even this time right now to dig a little bit deeper. I wanted to close uh, this time in digging deeper. This morning in my devotional time, I was in Psalm 40. And it's just a beautiful thing when the Lord just says you need to just pause and think about what you're reading. And mm-hmm. so I was uh, got to verse 16 and 17. So we're gonna I'm gonna close this out here, uh, where Psalm 40, 16 and 17 says, "But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. That's that's worship, right? Mm-hmm. Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and I am needy." But, and this is where I, I spent and just meditated on some, some time in the Word this morning, but the Lord takes thought for me. Just think about that. The Lord takes thought for me. For you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Mm. What a beautiful thing that mm-hmm. the Lord allows us to hear straight from Him, directly from Him, and causes us, as we dig deeper in His Word, to just hear His voice. What a beautiful Amen. thing. Well, it has been good to be with you, Tim. Thank you, and uh, we're grateful uh, that you're here again with us on Digging Deeper in Grace. You know, we've been discussing again your recent sermon from Exodus in chapter 24. For those of you who are listening to this podcast, you can access Grace Sermons anytime and our podcasts on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web, also known as the Internet, and by clicking the Media tab, again, gracecedarville.org. We also encourage you to share your questions and even your comments with us each week by emailing us at contact at gracecedarville.org, gracecedarville.org, contact at gracecedarville.org. Well, plan to join us for the next installment of Digging Deeper in Grace. Thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode. God bless and keep growing in grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.